In this week's podcast, we look back at the great USA Indoors, where a thing Mo, the 16-year-old teenage sensation with braces, broke the American record at 600 meters, and Donovan Brazier smashed the world's best, also at 600 meters. Shelby Houlihan's winning streak at USA's came to an end. We also discussed not being able to fill a 2,500-seat arena in New York City, and we've got the audio of two big-time broadcast blunders. Our love affair with the Nike Oregon Project continues, and we preview the mile world record attempt by Yomif Kajalja in Boston this weekend. If you're a fan of the podcast, be sure to subscribe, give us a good rating wherever you listen, and spread the word. Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by Health IQ. This is a true story. Eric, the LRC web guy, clicked on the Health IQ ad on Let's Run and is on track to save 19000 $940 on his life insurance over 30 years because he's a runner and they give fit people better rates. Go to healthiq.com to see if you can save as well. Let's get started. 48 seconds at the 449.5 is world record pace. He's on world record pace. The world record is 114.79. Remember that. Look at Donovan Brazier go. Thank you, Lee Diffie of NBC Sports, for that call. What a weekend. A world record or best by Donovan Brazier at 600 meters. High schooler Athing Mo winning USA's and setting an American record. Shelby Houlihan getting upset. And, of course, the big meet of the weekend at BU. Just kidding about that last one. But this is Let's Run.com co-founder Weldon Johnson, joined by the voice of the Ivy League, very sick Robert Johnson. And Let's Run.com st- staff writer, Jonathan Galt. Welcome, guys. Not excited to be here. Good Happy to be, to be here. Alive. Good afternoon. Well, Robert, sounds like you came down with some illness at the Ivy League champs. There were two huge broadcasting blunders at the USA meet we could get to. There might have been a job opening, but if you're sick, you won't be able to take advantage. Oh, good. I thought you were going to point out a few of the mistakes. Robert, I made, you, don't, but... you don't make mistakes, Robert. You've never made any mistakes on this website or anything like that. Surely not. Harvard's Kieran Tentevet ran one of the most epic races I've ever seen. He ran 2,600 meters of the men's 3,000 Ivy Championships with one shoe and won it. And we didn't realize he lost his shoe because we couldn't really see anything from where we were standing until after the race ended. I'll admit to one mistake. That's why you got to pay the spotters big bucks. Donovan Brazier started this broadcast, but I think we gave the splash page to a thing, Mo. 16 years old, national record. To me, it's the bigger story. I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. Uh, when I was watching that meet, I mean, we debated who to give the splash page to. My my contention was actually, I think they should have shared it. We have a picture of both of them. But if you're only going to limit it to one, Brazier going into that race, I honestly expected him to break the world record. He has been running really well this year. It wasn't that strong a mark. I mean, he crushed it by over a second, which is really good. But I, of the two performances, which one left me blown away? No doubt. It was a thing, Mo. I mean, she ran... Over the weekend, her PR, she came into the meet with a PR of 127. She left it with 123, an American record, a national title, the second fastest time ever. I mean, she just totally exploded onto the scene. To me, that was the the biggest story of USA's was the thing, Mo. And, you know, she's now one of the best uh, 800, 600 runners in the entire country at 16. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. I mean, she's one of the best 600 meters runners in the world <laughs> ever. <laughs> 
I was stunned. I thought, okay, she had the fastest seed time on Saturday for the finals, but Raven Rogers is very good. There are a couple other people in that final, and I'm like, okay, I think she'll get like third. It's a pretty good showing. Raven Rogers was great about it. On Saturday, she was asked about, hey, you're a pro, you don't have the top seed. And she's like, this is great. This is exciting. This is what the sport needs. And then she gets dusted in the final. I mean, she ran a good race. As Raven said, I improved a second from the day before, and I got beat. I think almost broke the world record, missing it by 0.13. It's just crazy. I mean, she almost dropped her PR four seconds over the weekend at 600 meters. It's not like she's running a 5K or something. I, I just was shocked. And I obviously, had, well, not obviously, I could have talked to her at Milrose, but I'd never met her. First time I think I really saw her up close was Thursday at the press conference. And I knew this high school was running the 600, and I just didn't think much of it. And she wasn't at the official press conference. She was sort of there afterwards. I'm sure maybe some local people were talking to her. Her and her coaches were posing for pictures in front of the sort of USATF Toyota indoors backdrop and having fun. You could tell she's, she likes, she's just a 16-year-old kid. And then she came through the media area on Saturday after the prelim and was just very excited. And she's very composed. She does not seem awed by the stage or anything. I mean, you see some kids who are super talents, one of them being Donovan Brazier. And you can see him sometimes, I feel like, fighting demons in his head, like the pressure and all of this. And she said everything I thought perfectly right. Like She's like, well, I never have a bad race. I'm out here having fun. And then she just upped the game completely in the final. It, it was shocking. I loved it. I think she's great. You know, looking ahead, you know, 600, especially if your high score is a lot shorter than an 800. But you got to start thinking 2020, 2024, 2028. Maybe I'm jumping the gun here a, a bit, bunch on that one. But she's got tremendous speed. And she's very tall, so I don't know how much her body will change. Robert, you weren't there. Give us your perspective from afar of... Well, I think one of you guys got me on the phone on Sunday night and said, what's your takeaways? I mean, basically, I was just trying to get through myself doing like seven hours of broadcasting on Saturday and five on Sunday, totally sick with the flu, like shivering in my seat. I barely, you know, I kind of just glanced at let's run, read the headlines, didn't even necessarily click on the results for every page to see what happened. But to me, that was definitely the shocker on Sunday. I mean, much, that to me is much bigger than Don Brazier. I mean, of course, Don Brazier, come on, how often does anyone run a 600? So, if it's a world record, it doesn't mean that much. But she, I mean, that is a fast time. So what amazes me is, I mean, in the span of th three weeks ago at Camel City Elite, she got smoked. She was fifth in the 800 there in 203.98. So she was almost, she was 4.7 seconds behind. I guess she's four, only, I guess AG ran 159.26. So she's 4.7 seconds behind AG Wilson. But I guess she was only... 0.7 seconds behind Hannah Green in a second. So, you know, I knew she was pretty good, but wow. I mean, this is a whole nother level. I mean, this is, I think, sub two, definitely. Here we come. And then to me, though, almost as big, shocking, and this is crazy to say this is almost as shocking as that, was Colleen Quigley winning the women's mile. And that was actually a race that I, I watched. I don't know if you can call that as shocking though like colleen was only I, I know that shelby was like dominant and it was it was certainly surprising but colleen was only like a i think it was 13 hundredths of a second behind shelby last year like she'd run she was second at milrose this was shelby's in retrospect you look at it it's, this was shelby's track opener she had been training for cross country colleen had been training for the track 
still a big surprise for sure. But I don't think we can say it was a surprise as a high schooler running, almost breaking the world record. Shelby losing, somewhat shocking because since she first won USA's, she hadn't lost the USA title. And that includes a 10K cross country that she won this year. She'd won eight straight, but as John pointed out, she almost she didn't win by that much last year. I think last year, did she mess up her tactics? I don't remember that race totally. I, I need to go look at that one. But she said, I didn't deserve last to win last year. I got lucky. She hadn't run a track race, and she's coming off a 10K cross country. And Quigley had run a track race. So, yes, it's an upset, but, I mean, nothing like I thought a thing Mo. Well, uh, again, I was so sick, I'd forgotten she hadn't even run a track race. But – do we get any insight, guys? I haven't seen it on the website. Any updates on why she's not doing? Yeah, the she did a, an interview with Weldon, and I watched it. And essentially, the course in Aarhus in Denmark, where Worlds is going to be held, it's going to be muddy. Uh, there's going to be a lot of there's going to be obstacles, you know, hills, the foot footing. It's not going to be perfect, and I think they're they're basically just thinking, look, the big goal for them is the World Championships and the outdoor season, and if there's anything that could possibly derail her chances of getting to that healthy and in her best possible shape, they're not going to take that risk. And she said for her, you know, going out to Denmark, running this race, not being totally sure on the footing, you know, you might t- twist an ankle something like that. To them, it's just too much of a risk to, to the outdoor season, which is what they see as the most important thing. And I mean, and you look at it this way from her perspective, She's not going to win World Cross. You know, the Kenyans, there's too many good East Africans in that race. I don't think she would win. Maybe she could Maybe she could medal in the right race. I still think that would be pretty tough. But on the track, she's certainly one of the favorites to medal in the 1500, if not, you know, one of the gold. She, and she's a threat for the gold medal. That's what she values the most. That's what she's best at. I understand the thinking. I Personally, I would love to see her run World Cross Country. I, I think the chances... Yeah, maybe she gets injured, but to me, it's like, come on, it's still what? Four, it's six months from uh, Worlds Outdoors. You know, she's got some time. I, I don't think she would get injured, but that was the thinking. She, they don't want to do, take any risks of tw- twisting an ankle or you know pulling a hamstring or something. Some injury you might get from uneven footing or challenging terrain. Yeah, one thing Shelby said in that interview was, oh we're not sure what the course is like, or maybe she didn't know what the course is like. I could possibly twist an ankle. <laughs> the course, I know what the course is like from just descriptions. There's logs and hills and water. And it's not, it's not a 1500 meter friendly cross country course. So is it time to retire Rupp certified? And now we have Houlihan certified. Not Houlihan certified. I think we have to, we have to adopt it now from now on. Galen held that mantle for a very long, very well long time. Should we make shirts? Not whole and certified. We can any much one people that show up in Denmark get a free shirt. Free. Hundred dollar gold plated shirt. Seventy five dollars each. Tracksmith sponsored. Tracksmith paid for. And you earn the right to buy the members of Let's Run dot com a beer at the beer tent. I've been saying it. I haven't bought my ticket yet, but if you're looking for something to do at the end of March, you want to go to the Netherlands and have a good time. This looks like a Don't great go to the race Netherlands. to go to. It's in Denmark, Walden. Oh, excuse me. My apologies. Um, I think I'm coming down with something as well. <laughs> That's the new excuse. Anytime we ever make a mistake. Oh, sick. Oh, sorry. I had to blow my nose. Oh, yeah. 
I'm the one who edits this podcast. Hopefully, I might just strike that one. Yeah, how long can I just play this off? Like, oh, I'm sick. I was really thinking about that because it says the flu is only supposed to last really badly for four or five days, and this is already day four. So, like, maybe I'm just turning into depression or something every day. I'm like, oh. you get you get one week. Next week's podcast, there's no excuses. Okay, do we do we need to talk much about Brazier's run? I would have bet he would break the world record. I mean, no offense to Cass Loxham, but Loxham's retired from the sport. He had the world record, I believe, maybe two years ago. Yeah. So we're singing the praises of Athing Mo for breaking the record, but the men's record we're not giving much credence to. I think Cass Loxham's example shows the 600 is very different from the 800. And the other thing you have to remember, I mean, Donovan, what really struck me, I was really impressed by the interview he did in the Mixer and after USA's because he had great perspective. Like when Donovan wins, when he's in a good mood, he's a really good interview. He, he's level-headed and he thinks about this stuff and he realizes, look, the 600 indoor world record, that's not an event that's run that often. It wasn't, he broke it by a second. I mean, obviously he ran very well on Sunday, but the record wasn't that strong i mean the outdoor world record is i think 112.81 by johnny gray and indoors you just you know johnny gray ran indoors but he wasn't he didn't take it as seriously as he did outdoors and david rudisha the greatest 800 meter runner of all time he never ran indoors wilson kipkita he has the indoor world record at like 142 and he ran that two days after running the previous world record in the prelims and this was all at world indoors you know if you had all these great 800 guys actually taking the event seriously indoors and training for it and hitting it hard, the times would be a lot faster across all these events. And you know, now that you've got some really big talents like Donovan Brazier and taking it seriously and actually getting in shape and running some of these fast races, that's when the records start to go. So it's not a shot at Brazier, but he's just happens to be a really talented guy who's in shape and taking the season seriously. And that's why you see these results and records start to tumble. Okay, gentlemen, here's test your knowledge of track and field history. One thirteen seventy seven. Weldon, when John, when David Rudisha set his world record at the London Olympics, what was his 600 split? Was it faster or slower than Deanna from Brazier's 11377. I'm not good with math. I'm not an 800 meter coach, but I feel like he was in the 112s. Thought he was slower. Jonathan? I thought he was. I'm going to throw out a number. I'm not entirely sure if this is right. I thought he was like 114, 114.2, maybe. I remember being an even number, I feel like. Wow. There's a reason why Jonathan Galt is an employee of Whitesrun.com. 114.30. I've also read that recap several times, I think, in the past, just because it was such an awesome race. I I wasn't working for Lettersar at the time, but I was super excited by the race. John, are you off your suspension? I didn't see you at USA. Oh, shoot. We we were supposed to mention my secret suspension. I was on double secret probation. I didn't think we were going to talk about that on the podcast, Weldon. Folks, John's been suspended. He was the driver of the Bentley taking Robert. Oh, oh, we got to break that up. Oh, come on. How is Boston doing, John? How how are things in, I don't know, is there a new nickname for Boston? Sin City. People obviously aren't happy about it. It's not a very happy story. And, uh, you know, Robert Cro- people have made jokes at his expense, but at the same time, it's some pretty serious human trafficking things going on. It's It's just not, no one's happy about it. We just want it to go away. Hopefully the outcome is that this brings more attention to a very you know, a big problem in the world and certainly 
for the women involved. Uh, you know, maybe some good can come out of this, but it's it's kind of a mess. All right, let's move on. Do you guys want to talk about the Drew Hunter's sort of impressive solo run in the two mile or two big broadcasting blunders at USATF indoors? Start with Drew. Talk about the races first. And I feel like Drew was the big story until Sunday. In the two mile, he was in the B heat and because he hadn't run a track race all year. The only race he'd done recently was the USA Cross Country where he went out hard. I think one thing people don't appreciate is like Drew didn't run in college, so he's never run a 10K in his life. A lot of the you know college guys have run 10K, a bunch of 10K cross countries. And one thing Drew said was, I just thought, oh, I'll just go with them, see how long I can hang. Paid for the price at the very end, just missed making the USA World Cross Country team, which he says is on his bucket list because his dad made a couple World Cross Country teams. So this, he said he had the option of running the 5K in Boston or the two-mile here. Entered the two mile and was entered, put in the slow heat because he didn't have a seed time. And Drew said he didn't know that until he showed up. So being in the slow heat, what are you going to do? You just got to try to run a fast time. And two of his 10-minute elite teammates paced him through the mile, and then he was all alone. And when I saw Drew was in the slow heat, I was going to skip the slow heats. We're going to we could have a whole segment on getting to Staten Island from Manhattan, but it's about if you drive 45 minutes to an hour, but then you got to park and got to give up your parking spot in Manhattan since now I'm street parking. It's very, it's a very difficult thing. Take public transport. It's about two hours, hour and a half, depending on how you do it. I drove out there, was getting out of the car. I had a few times. I thought the race would start, but I would get there by the end. And I start streaming it and they're like going ahead of schedule. They're on the, I hear them going, Drew Hunter 31, three laps to go. And I'm like, oh my God, they're way ahead of schedule. I just start sprinting. But he soloed the entire second mile and runs, 825 turns out that ended up winning it it was pretty crazy because after the race drew said a couple things essentially he's like a lot of guys it's sort of interesting also because they're mostly running used to running 3ks but they don't know like what a good two mile time is and drew had some comments like that he said to me you know it was an okay result because he wanted to run a little bit faster the, the goal was for them was to, was to run about 820 so Drew thought maybe 820 would win it. And then he asked, is that good? And he knew it was, it was pretty decent because he said his parting words were when he essentially said, I'm not going to watch the fast heat. But he, he said, well, at least the guys are going to have to try a little bit to beat me. And thankfully, USATF, with him having the task, fastest time, told him to stay around. It actually made decent TV because they did split screen, showed Drew, showed the race. And once the gun went off, in the fast heat, I think it showed this race was full of guys who have never won a national title, but also full of guys who really don't think of themselves as national champions because no one made the effort to win the race. And I think about a half mile in, I turned to David Monty of Race Results Weekly, and who is also the New York City Roadrunners, you know, does the elite fields for the New York City Marathon and some of their races, and said, I think Drew's won. And, you know, if they started hammering, then they could have caught it, but by the mile, they would need to go sub four the second mile, and it was totally over then. And that's when Coach Tom Schwartz Tinman said he knew it was over as well. Drew sort sort of sitting trackside with a TV camera in his face. He said he wasn't sure. He didn't know he, he had it won until about 1,000 meters to go. And Eric Avila, who's been under the radar, a guy who I, don't know, I talked to him at Milrose last year and then this year, and so I sort of know what he's going. And I, 
beforehand, I said, watch out for Eric Avila. I think he's very fit. He ends up winning the race, and but not the national championship. It was pretty crazy. Eric had no idea that he wasn't the winner until he saw Drew celebrating. What do you mean he had no idea? Yeah, it was just what? it was an odd situation all around. I mean, Eric is now part of um, Terrence Mahan's group out of California. He said Terrence told him before the race, under absolutely no circumstances do you re- lead this race. So Eric took his coach's instructions and said, "Okay, my goal is just to finish first in this race. I'm not going to worry about splits. I'm just going to win this race." And that's exactly what he did. Okay, but didn't he know what the time was in the first one? So I might have followed those instructions and realized I wasn't going to beat that I mean, time. Maybe he, maybe he could have sensed it was slow, but he's probably he, he said he never looked at a clock, never looked at a split. He just raced. Would they go out in for the first mile? Think about so they had to go about f- sub four, so maybe somewhere around four twenty six. Yeah, four twenty eight, somewhere in there, four twenty five, somewhere right around there. Yeah, it was four for the. It was sixteen hundred and eighteen meters is the split, and Lawi Lalang was the leader at that time at four twenty six fifty one. So slight that's just like just over a mile. I mean I can play some audio. All right, here's Eric Avila talking after the race. I feel like I'm the national champion. I know it's cliche to say, but uh, I really wish Drew was in that race. I would have loved to race him. I think the way he what he did this morning was like he had to do that. If I was putting the morning heat, I would have just pressed as hard as I could. And so there it is, Avila saying, I feel like the national champion. You know, this is right after the race, and I totally get what he what he's saying, but no one else feels like he's the national champion. It's sort of unfortunate there was a slow heat, but the rules are the rules, and it was just apparent, like, you know, halfway through that those guys were going to get second place. Yeah, he, he can feel whatever he wants, but I know he's not the national championship. That's A. B, they shouldn't have two heats. Whether it's the Ivy League championships, two heats, you should never have two heats of anything. One heat. Especially in a period. distance race. I mean, I kind of get it in a sprint. If you want to have two heats, the indoor 200, it's hard to get everyone on the same track. I mean, I get that. I mean, you know, you can argue just have a four-person final instead of eight. But a distance race where it's all about racing, it's ludicrous for a national championship to be determined like that. I'll admit, it's pretty entertaining to follow. It was definitely interesting, but I don't think it's the best way to crown a national champion. I'll admit that uh, they had the um, there was an like an Ivy League reception going on, and they they turned the USA meet on uh, on the bar TV, and we saw the women's mile, and I guess in the men's two mile, and I saw like Drew Hunter celebrating, but I didn't realize it was a two mile. I just assumed it was the three k, and I knew that there was a slow heat, and it looked like I could tell by the twenty, I, I could tell like oh he must have won the slow heat and must have won the meet. But I couldn't believe that they couldn't beat an eight twenty five three thousand. I was like, that is really bad. <laughs> like, how did? It, yeah, how well, that that's off? the thing. Eight twenty five, like for a full two miles. That's th- there were guys in that second heat who who could have run that time. And if you look, that actually that Boston five k uh, that some of the WCAP guys ended up running, they hit thirty two hundred meters in that race in eight twenty six. So en route to a five k, and obviously they ran pretty fast. They ran in the thirteen tens, thirteen oh eight for Cesarek, but. You know, it, it's a definitely a mark that was achievable by some of those guys, but it's also not like, you know, it's not a layup. You can't, you got to be on that pretty early on or else you're going to fall behind. And that's what happened. They were just too slow through the first 800 or so. And then once they needed to really pick it up after that, and they didn't, and the time came and went. It was a totally squandered opportunity by all those guys in the second heat. Dylan Mag- Maggard, Brooks Beast, Sean McGordy, 
These guys had an opportunity. I mean, Garrett Heath, he's run pretty well in the past. Eric Avila, obviously. But nobody ran like they wanted to be national champion except for Drew Hunter. I mean, there was it was clear what his goal was. I'm glad he won. It's great. He's a young talent. He's only 21 years old. The future looks very bright after USA's. He's 21. Donovan Brazier's 21. I think Moose 16. Some very impressive performances by young distance runners. The sprints and whatnot was pretty weak, I would say. A lot just people just didn't show up. I think in the 60, seven of the eight men's finalists were unattached. Yeah, that's true. But let's don't get too carried away with Drew here. I mean, that's only equivalent to like, like I'm almost looking at John Kellogg's conversion chart about 1330 for, for 5K. I mean, Donovan Brazier's at a whole that's a good point. other level. And afterwards, Drew was saying his goal is to make worlds in something this year. And he's like, I've said in an interview, I want to be graded a bunch of stuff this year. You know, 146 at 800 to 1320 at 5K. And I was like, wow, that's good. You know, he's trying to be graded everything. And then later I thought, wait, 1320 for 5K as a pro? That's mediocre. It's, it's not good. It barely gets you in the world championships. And if you're an American, it won't get you in the world championships. You're not going to make the team if you're just a 1320 guy. I think, you know, Drew will raise his sights higher to come out and win this race. He's never won a nationals. A couple years ago, he was just a high school kid who turned pro. And I think Drew's setting his sights higher now. And as he said, I don't think of myself as a high school kid. No one thinks of myself as a high school kid. You're just a young kid. I, I don't get an excuse for being young. And Jakob Ingebrigtsen and Samuel Tefera are both way younger than him and running faster. So it's a very good run. Very good run for Drew. Good weekend for his coach, 10 men. Let's run.com fame. I said to 10 men, you know, congrats on your first national title and he's like no this is the fourth i was like what and he had it was, i was meaning first track title but i couldn't think of others he had brogan austin win the calendar national usa marathon championships in 2018 and he also had two other national championships this past week one in australia so that was i think the meet was called the sydney track classic or but somehow it, it also functions as the Australian 5,000 meter championships. And his athlete, Jordan Guzman, huge upset, beats Stuart McSwain, who's run, I think, 1303, 1308 for 5,000. He beat Stuart McSwain in that race? Seriously? Yeah. I mean, 1329.47 for Jordan, and, and McSwain was 1332.37. Now, maybe McSwain thought he would, you know, just cruise to victory. And, but McSwain had broken. The 1500 meter world record, I mean, Australian record indoors the weekend before in Dusseldorf. So, this was a very quick turnaround. And if you listen to our podcast last week with Jordy Williams, he said it's very hard to fly back to Australia. Your body's so wrecked. And so, you know, they pretty much landed and raced, I guess, what, a week later. But it's a big win for, for Jordan. And it's, I think Jordan just reached out to Tinman and it's kind of a ragtag group of, I think 10 to 15 guys. We're, I'm going to post, I talked to Tinman at length. I'd actually never met him in person and it's a big weekend for him. And I was just talking to Tinman about his journey to the top of the sport. And I was like, how does this work? Who pays you? And he's like, well, you know, Drew pays me individually. People pay him individually. Drew has something in his contract to let Tinman, you know, travel to a meet like this. And Tinman was saying, I just sort of learned by coaching a lot from coaching masters athletes 
And then I said, well, that's got to be very different. You know, master's athletes, they have jobs, they have real lives, they have kids. They just can't train full time. And he's like, well, that's where you're wrong. You're assuming my guys aren't working. He's like, none of my guys are running full time. And I was like, well, what, do you, what about Drew? He's like, Drew's going to college. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, the college lifestyle is pretty conducive for running. So Drew's taking partial credits at CU Boulder. And then I was like, what, what about some of these other guys? And he's like, Sam Parsons has somewhat of a contract and pretty much everyone else is working. So it's kind of the legend of Tinman's growing even more, but sort of this kind of ragtag, if we're the ragtag bunch of journalists, they're the ragtag bunch of national champions. So well done to them. For the record, Stuart McSwain has a 1305 5,000 meter PB. too low and then I was too high. Well, he's very good, and I guess, I don't know, I mean, I don't want to take away from his victory. Maybe McSwain was feeling jet-lagged, that was a big trip back, but that, when I heard he won, I was like, wait, I thought the Aussie champs won until, you know, April, I was a little surprised, I didn't know how serious it was, but beating Stuart McSwain in any race, I mean, that's, that's pretty legit, I gotta give him credit for that, that's a, that's a heck of a, heck of a weekend for the Tin Men. And uh, Robert or John, I'm not sure who was most behind the editorial criticizing the 5,000 meter race at the Boston whatever it was called last chance meet but hey Drew Hunter I'm surprised Robert doesn't try to take credit for Drew Hunter's two mile victory at USA's anyway Drew had some audio and I he said another option was running that 5,000 meters and he decided against it and he mentioned let's run so I'll play that quickly so is this weekend that's more about breaking up the training for a while a little bit yeah it was Not sure how well you guys could hear that, but he said, because he sort of tailed off, but he said, you know, but I had to make a let's run happy. And I thought it was kind of cool because I hadn't said a word to him at this point, And I guess he saw me there. So Drew, if you're listening, great job this weekend. And I'm glad you did the national championship. And the thing with the 5k, if, if you got, if some sort of casual listeners don't know what we're talking about, there was a race up in Boston and a lot of people went, there was a good 5,000 meters in it. And people solely went there to run a fast time to qualify for the world championships, which are outdoors at the end of September, early October. It's the same weekend as a national championship. This is terrible for the sport. Athletes need to be encouraged to run USA indoor championships, big races on TV. It's just terrible when a bunch of pretty good distance runners are, are up running another race the same weekend. And I'm not critical of the athletes. I totally see why they do it. They priority their shoe contracts. Everything is clearly it's more important for them to run world outdoors than to run USA indoors and stuff needs to change. And also the rules need to change. The qualifying needs to change at the very least. USA ATF needs to put in a dark window, like the weekend of nationals and times you run that weekend count for nothing else that you cannot qualify that weekend. And then that way athletes, if they want to schedule a meet like that, it have to be next week or the week before. Thankfully drew did run the two mile because it made a much more interesting meet. And Thankfully, the Nike Oregon Project ran the meet as well, because without them, I mean, this meet, we would have been relying on a high schooler. Quigley and Houlihan showed up and ran, but the Nike Oregon Project swept the men's distance race. Craig Ingalls got his first national title at the mile, and we haven't mentioned Clayton Murphy, who won 1,000. So one, two, three for those guys. And those are some prominent stars who ran as well. So you need as many names as people, but 
meanwhile, a lot of people skip the meet. Indoors isn't important. And we have a meet in New York City with a capacity of 2,500, and it wasn't full. I talked to a ticket guy. He said maybe on Saturday there were 1,700 people there. I would probably estimate the next day it was probably two-thirds as full as well. It's a problem. I don't know who to blame. Do you blame the local people, USATF? You know, it is hard to get there. As I said, an hour and a half by public transportation from Manhattan. Maybe they should run buses. But I blame USATF ultimately. It's their meat. Give away free tickets. Bus kids out there. Spend the whatever money it costs. $10,000. I don't care. You need a packed house for a national championship. And also, you need to put on an entertaining product during the meet. The Ocean Breeze facility clearly is very fast. I mean, look what I think Mo did. Look what Brazier did. It's a beautiful facility. The sound isn't very good in there. I wonder if some sound engineers could come in. But the sound is ter- terrible at the Armory as well. But the Armory is at least very loud. But the other thing is, so they have this beautiful jumbotron. And during the races, they would just show the clock on it. They, it could do highlights and stuff, but the vast majority of the time, 90% of the time, it just showed the running clock with a thing that said Toyota USA Indoors. It's terrible. Why would you want to go out there and watch, you know, hoof it out there and watch this meet when you can't even see a replay or you can't even see the meet on the Jumbotron? Like people use Jumbotrons. The viewing experience is so much better at home. So if we just want to have a, you know, national championship solely for the TV audience. And I agree that the TV audience should be the first priority. Fine. But eventually we're going to have a meet and there's not going to be a single person in the stands. I mean, that's a bit much of a rant, but we need people there. And I don't know if you were at the meet, I'm sure a lot of watch runners were there and even any ideas of what they could do better. I'm going to start a thread. Hey, did you go to the USA indoors? What can we do to do better? Please, Chris Lear and I have been we're back on in college in 1995-96 when the track and field email was served debating this how the track and field wasn't presented properly at Madison Square Garden. There is nothing we can do to make sport super popular. Yes, you can do improvements. Yes, I don't think Max Siegel deserves more than a million dollars a year, but people would rather just in this day and age not go to that meet. It takes a long time to go to a track meet. It goes all day. It's easier to stay at home, watch it for two hours. Then get high school kids out there. Get them excited because they get to watch the pros for free and they get bust out by their high schools. Just get some people in the seats. I mean, granted, people may not want to watch it, but do you guys know what Wagner College is, anyone? It is a college on Staten Island, I'm assuming. Oh, wow. Good one, John. Very smart. Yes, Wagner College is a... I think it's Division One College on Staten Island. I didn't know that, but some for some reason I went and looked up their basketball attendance, and they get about you know sixteen hundred, seventeen hundred a game. But we act like this is important. We're having the USA indoors and the national media market. There's no national media there. This sixteen-year-old phenom like crushes it. It's one of the coolest stories ever. There's no media. I mean, she should be on like the Letterman show. They should have had someone at USATF. Their job should be just to get that highlight on Sports Center. The high school kid beating pros, that should be worth a clip on SportsCenter. If someone just alerts them, tells them what's going on. Instead, you know, the sport just sort of stays where it is. And what what are people doing to advance the sport? Always think, you know, how can we advance the sport? How can we advance the presentation? The good thing is we now have a sponsor. It's called the Toyota USA Indoors. I don't know if we've given Toyota credit, but Toyota's on the backdrop. Toyota, Nike, and USATF. That at least makes interviews look a little bit better. Some progress. 
All right, so speaking of things that aren't great for the sport, but we found this pretty amusing, I would say. There was some interesting commentary, I would say, in the uh, for the NBC Sports Network broadcast of the women's 600 and then after the men's mile. And I think Weldon has a couple clips queued up for us. Uh, let's play a little game. Viewers, see if you can spot the mistake. Thank you, John. Here we go. The end of the women's 600 meters on NBC SN. Rogers on the back straight, starting to take it to the teenager. But a thing Mo's not getting flustered. She responds. Her first national titles, and she is not succumbing to the pressure. A thing Mo may set a record here. 16 year old, a thing Mo wins the 600 meters. That's a world record, Lee. She runs the fastest time ever at this event. So that was from friend of the podcast, friend of Run.com, Craig Mosbach, calling it a world record when it wasn't the, I mean, technically be a world's best. It wasn't the world's best. It was the second fastest time ever. I mean, shit like that happens. I thought it was, I was like, whoa, what's going to happen? If you keep listening, at first they then say American record. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are they just going to sweep it under the rug? And to Craig's credit, he came on and said, hey, I, I was wrong. You know, it's the second fastest time ever. And shit happens on live TV. I think it's good that they were excited. He said something for, with record, and I would rather have you, someone be too excited than have silence. So, hey, when a 16-year-old runs that fast, I don't think anyone's ready for it. And the 600 indoors is such an off distance. It's, it was worth a chuckle for sure. And we, that wasn't the only uh, goof, though, was it? Well, I think we've got another one uh, right off to the men's mile interview with, well, we'll let you figure out who the interview's with. Lewis Johnson's doing the interviewing. Great, thanks so much. Well, Craig, it's a little different situation. Yesterday, you were on the rail watching the B, the A final, what have you. How great was it to be out here and be able to contest for the win with everybody else? It was awesome, man. I think you mixed me up with Drew Hunter, though. We looked the same. Oh, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> yes, Lewis Johnson confusing Craig Ingalls and Drew Hunter. And Craig handled that great. Oh, wow. Robert, wow. I have not seen that. <laughs> I mean, that's just my worst fear. Sometimes even when I'm talking to athletes in the mix zone, I don't know who they are or I'm just so glad I'm not on live TV with this new mustache look and sort of long hair. They do look alike. And I just thought for a total F up like that, Craig did it great. Craig's got a great personality and he didn't sweep it under the rug either. He just said, Hey man, I think he he wasn't offended. It was great. Craig handled that perfectly. People would be calling. We had that debate, right? Whether I, I think one of you threw out that, if this was a big sport and the role of the races are reversed, that he would be fired, that Lewis Johnson, the interviewer would be fired. I, I don't think it would be that extreme, but I do agree. The PC police would have a field day about that one on, on Twitter. Well, the, the problem with the PC police and Twitter is you can always find 20 people that are raged about something. So if you want to write an art, uh, an article about Twitter goes berserk over a, you can always write that article. But as someone who's done some, you know, broadcasting myself, I can easily see how that's done. Like, I mean, even myself, I'm doing the Ivy League broadcast this week. There's 20 events for the men, 20 events for the women. I'm trying to have like at least 15 deep in every event. So that's like 600 people. So, you know, sometimes your brain may be thinking like Yale 5K runner, and then you get it confused with the Yale 1500 meter runner. So you say, oh, this person's NCAA qualifier and this and that. And no, and that's the 5K runner. Or so you think, you know, your brain instinctively says white dude with mustache won the two mile. This is white dude with mustache. I mean, I guess it's racist in the sense of it. He's associating white with him, but this is what people need to get over. Fake this outrage. 
Yeah, I mean, I think for some of them, it's genuine outrage. They're just outraged at stuff that most people sh- that maybe you shouldn't be outraged at. Yes, the fact that he was white had something to do with it. If he w- if Craig Ingalls was black, he would not have been talked about. But the same way, when someone sometimes sometimes something like this happens, sometimes there's innocent mistakes that are a factor of race, and it doesn't mean you're racist in a negative right, sense. Right. I don't think anyone would accuse Lewis Johnson of being racist. He's just made an innocent mistake. No, he does a lot of events, a lot of sports. This was handled perfectly. I actually like it. I'm, I'd like to see it on awful announcing. It'd be it's too bad our sport isn't popular there. because neither one of these things got any mention. I thought they were both kind of funny. And you know, we're talking about a live TV. One of my highlights of the Ivy League championships was at the end of the broadcast. We had a sideline reporter on the final day, and they interviewed the Princeton coach Fred Samara. I mean. The guy's been there 42 years. He wins his fifth straight title. He broke down in tears. He's starting to break down. You can tell he's going to start crying. So he said, hold on, stop. Let's redo that. And then he didn't realize it was live TV. So like, he still didn't get it even when they redid the interview. He said, you can cut that off, right? And she's like, no, we're live. So Is that a wrap, I mean, guys, on USA Indoors? I think we've said all we had to say about that meet. You know, some pretty interesting events. There are some ones that weren't so predictable, but at least the stars showed up. I think the one thing I was going to mention is like if NOP didn't show up your national champions in the men's 600,000 a mile would have been Sam Ellison, Abraham Alvarado and Henry Wynn. So not exactly an all-star cast. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad the stars showed up for that. Henry Wynn's an NCAA mile champion. That was my exact same thought I was going to say, John. Imagine if, if the NOT, NOP and BTC, imagine if the Nike distance charge blew off this meet the way the sprint stars do. This meet wouldn't be worth holding. If, if the Nike distance stars treated indoors like Jenny Simpson and, and, and Emma Cobra, you know, Jenny Simpson does, it would be not yeah. worth holding. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I'll give, I'll give credit to the Bowman athletes who did show up, Shelby and Colleen, for sure. They uh, took it seriously and ran well. And, you know, they deserve to win. They Good chance they might have won even if the other guys, the other athletes had shown up. But uh, if they hadn't been there, I think the meet would have been in trouble. After the women's 300, I saw this woman come through and she was posing in front of the media backdrop where the interviews are done. That says Toyota, USATF, Nike. And she was kind of taking a selfie. She's over there by herself and I walked back over there and said, hey, you want me to take that? And then I said, hey, you're Brittany Brown, right? You just won the 300. And she's like, yes. So I thought it was kind of cool. Like she's a national champion. She never won one at college. She's unsponsored now. She's a pretty good runner. And this might help her get a contract. There's just some beauty in running, right? Like most of us, we don't start out doing this for money. It's because we love it and we're good at it. And it's about seeing what your body can do. And to be a national champion is a pretty cool thing. And from, you know, Brittany Brown to I think Moo just saying like, hey, I, I love this. It's fun. Every race is a good race. I think that's the sort of beauty of track and field that we all love. But I can't believe that... We, we can't get 2,500 people out to appreciate that beauty. I can believe it. Track and field's not popular. I mean, it's not a popular sport. I can believe that there's... Att- John, neither neither is Wagner College basketball. It's not popular, but somehow we people can get five, 6,000 people to show up for a minor league baseball game repeatedly in the summer. Like, it seems weird. They're building a new rodeo arena. It's like 12,000 people in Fort Worth, but you used to get five or six grand twice a day some days. So... Come on, 2,500, we got to do it. Find bus kids out, cool opportunity for them to watch track and field. 
Uh, 20, I mean, like, let's go. Come on. Well, speaking of attendance, maybe are we going to move to college track and field? I haven't seen this, but a friend of mine was telling me that probably the best track and field meet in the world the entire year indoors was held last weekend, and it's not the USA indoor meet. It might have been the SEC. Robert, NCAAs is better than SECs. Don't bring that bullshit in here. You know that. Okay, well, a short of NCAA meet. I think they meant so far this year. Apparently, there's like no crowd there. So did anyone see that? Which is shocking because you'd think those SEC fans are so rabid for school loyalty that they might be into that. But it's pretty hard to follow because you can – I mean, I was at the NCAA outdoor meet one year, and I, I was in the stands, and the announcer didn't even seem to know who won the team title. I left the stands. I was sitting in the stands when, with several of our high school coaches from Iowa who'd made it to Drake, and they left the meet not knowing who'd won the national title. They were diehards. So the meet, was it Arkansas? Where was the meet? Yeah, it was at Arkansas. They used to pack it in for John McDonald. They used to have a pro meet at the Tyson invite. Seriously, it wasn't for I'm actually kind of shocked. That's what I was told. I'm actually sort of shocked by that because Fayetteville's not a major league town. It used to be cool to go watch the Razorbacks do track and field when John McDonald was winning everything. It was raucous in there, and then they kept that going for a few years and had pro meets. But I think some of the winning tradition went away. And then who knows? Maybe you put on boring pro beat. You don't entertain fans. And a couple years later, people aren't coming back. If you're putting on a track meet and you want spectators to come and you're not just looking for friends and family, which maybe is most track meets, just think if there's one thing we can do to make it better. But I guess, you know, what the vast majority of meets are just sort of invites for friends and family. So maybe any sort of championship meet. Right, and that's why if you look at the at the Oregon is a good example. Outdoors, I mean, you know, Martin Smith when he was a coach at Oregon, he wanted to do what was just in the athletes of the athletes' best interest. He didn't care about placating the home fans. Now you see there's a concern that you know the home call the quality of the home meets isn't good because they're going to these other meets. The problem is you need to sort of placate the fans. You need to have give them a reason to become attached to them during the regular season. And then they, they have someone to root for, and the kids have their favorite runner on the team, and then they follow them in NCAs. It's the same reason here, like you shouldn't be having a 5,000 time trial instead of USAs. You got to encourage people to go to NCAs. I mean, you got to encourage people to go to USAs. It's just small little things that lead to other little things. If, if you do US cross, you should do world cross. And they need to make a, a one rule change in the colleges. There should never be a tie at a meet. I think we're all in agreement with this, right? If the score is tied, Whichever team plays higher in the 4x4 wins Agreed. the meet. It's ludicrous. You would never have a team tie for a conference title in uh, at a con- basketball NCAA basketball conference tournament or a college football, you know, a Big Ten championship game in college football. They would never just say, oh, the game's tied. You know, that's how the season ends. No. You got an easy way of solving it. Every team enters a 4x4 or every track team worth their salt enters a 4x4. That's it's a no nonsense. It's a you know no brainer to me. What if we had the coaches go race like a sixty, throw the shot? I guess you need a third event in case there's a tie in those a high jump. No, I think all those people throw that out as a solution. Have the coaches race? No, it's so stupid. A coach is not supposed to be in shape. It's not their job. I've heard people say that like yeah, have the coaches should race on the four hundred all out. It's like no. That's not what like, being a good track team is. I, I don't know if it's a serious solution or not, but it's a ridiculous solution. It should be, you know, decide by the athletes, have it in the four by four final event. Makes everything more exciting. You know, you get a situation like the ACC meet where it's tied or it has a potential to be tied going into the four by four. You get a big deal. I wasn't serious. I was joking, but thank goodness. 
so I've heard the suggestion thrown out there, and I think so, I don't know. Some people I think might be serious, and it's just ludicrous. I guess the college track action. Is there anything we want to mention from this weekend? I mean, there's always obviously always good performances conference weekend, but I, I had apparently this is a really hot take about the Big Ten 5K, but. I think everyone, you probably have seen the video by now with Alicia Monson cheering on her teammate, Amy Davis, as they went one, two. I thought it was, it was definitely an interesting video. My, my whole take on it though, was kind of like, I don't know if I was in the runner up I, and I have no idea how Amy Davis felt about this. She may have thought it was the most endearing gesture in the world. She really enjoyed it. If I was in second and my teammate, Alicia Monson, if for those who didn't see the video, she's essentially turning around and encouraging her and cheering her on during the race. If I was in second and my teammate was doing that, as I'm trying as hard as I possibly can, and it's clear that she's not trying that hard and is cheering me on, I, I would feel it would feel a little condescending to me. And again, that's just my personal interpretation. Maybe Amy Davis loved it, and in that case, it's you know, kudos to Wisconsin. It was a great performance by both of them, obviously. But me personally, I don't know. That that's just I'd be I'd be a little irritated at my teammate. Yeah, I was fine with it, but. I can see how if I'm running all out, my teammates sort of doing that. It, it could annoy you. It really depends on the person. Monson's very good and just sort of probably, yeah, like jogging it in, <laughs> winning another title. So it's good that she's the, the... Sure, came out a good place, for sure. But if you're the one like going all out, your teammates just like... I could easily see if you're just feeling like complete shit that, hey, this is annoying. Stop. I'm about to die. I'm giving it all I can. I just want to get to the finish. I guess the other thing I wanted to touch on from the college action was just, I shouldn't be surprised that Grant Holloway does amazing things anymore, but it's still impressive. He won the 60 and the 60 hurdles at SECs. I mean, that's the best sprint conference in the entire country. And he, he's not even a six, like the 60s, like his third or fourth best event. He won that. Then he won the 60 hurdles and he won the, he got second in the long jump. So he scored 28 points by himself to help lead Florida to the, to, to the, uh, SEC title that guy just he continues to amaze me it's just he's a phenomenal athlete and I think that we need to give him credit for this sort of thing he's so good I feel like he does this all the time but I guess winning the 60s the new thing well, isn't it possible they're gonna win the national championship with just him this year in the four by four like that could be, he could do that in CAs too 28 points and then 28 is usually not enough to win it though no then you add in the four by four I feel like that's still not probably not enough to win it but he could get close. I, I would actually, I'm very interested to see if he'll try the 60 and the 60 hurdles double at NCAAs uh, because that's a lot of racing, especially if he's doing the long jump on the 4x4 as well. But I think that would be really cool to see. I remember Andrew Riley from Illinois. He won the 100 and the 110 hurdles outdoors back in 2012, I think. And it would be just, it's really cool. I love it when the sprint, the hurdlers also run the, uh, sprints and actually sharika nelvis did that at usa she won the 60 hurdles and then came back like 15 minutes later and got third in the 60 so i thought it was uh it's pretty interesting i'd, I'd like to see holloway try it at ncaa's in a couple weeks Wait, what happened to andrew riley uh, i don't know he won the 100 and the 100 hurdles like I, it's like that's crazy yeah, he was Jamaican. You're one of the best so in the NCAA. Luck. You're probably one of the best in the world. Richard Thompson, 2008, he was NCAA champ. He got second at the Olympics that year. Andre DeGrasse and Trayvon Bromel both medaled in 2015. Christian Coleman, he got silver in 2017 when he was in college. Like These college guys are usually some of the best sprinters in the world. So just saying, oh, he's Jamaican, it's a hard team to make. Uh, to me, that's not a big enough excuse. All right, enough college track. We got to get back to the pros. I feel like 
most of college indoor track really is just getting ready for NCAAs. I mean, you get some really fast times, but it happens every year in the at the college level, and it's all about NCAAs. But we have a, another bonus pro meet this weekend, thanks to the Nike Oregon Project. Who knew? Let's Run.com turning into a Oregon Project love fest. But this weekend in Boston, right after the IC4A college meet, which I think is a good idea, please, college team, someone stay, stay afterwards. We need fans at this thing. But there will be a pro meet, essentially like an, at least an 800 and mile kind of time trial to see how fast we can run. The focus is the Yomi Kajelcha world record in the mile attempt. That's going to be great. A bunch of other guys are showing up trying to hit the A standard in the mile for the world championship. So there'll actually be a B rabbit. Craig Ingalls and Johnny Grigorek will likely be there and maybe even someone like the Brooks Beast. The focus really is going to be on Kajelcha trying to get the world record that he missed at Milrose by 0.01. That is going to be a great one. Donovan Brazier will be running the eight. He wants to go 143. And if he can do that, he'll be the second, third guy ever in the 143s. Clayton Murphy has not yet decided what he's going to run. But John, you will be there back from suspension. What do you think of Kajelch's chances? I think they're good. I mean, I think BU so far, it's, it comes down to the pacemaking a little bit, I think. But I don't know who's pacing. But I th- I, if I were them, I would have... If Murphy's not running the mile, I would have, and he's doing the 800, I would just have him double back and try to pace. I don't know if he'd be willing to do that, but he's obviously the perfect rabbit. Came 0.01 away. BU is a faster track than the Armory for the mile. I think most people would agree about that. He's shown he's very fit. And I, you know, I feel bad for the guy if he doesn't get it. I mean, he came so close at the Armory and then he gets beat in a world record race in Birmingham in the 1500. You know, to come away from this brilliant season of his without a world record, I feel like would be a little, just a little unjust. But, you know, you got to run the performance. He hasn't run it yet. So it'll be interesting to see. But I'm excited to watch in person. He's definitely going to get the world record in the mile. The thing is, and this is what's wrong with the sport, if he doesn't run faster than the 1500 equivalent, because the 1500 meter world record is better, then it'll be geeks like me that'll say, hey, it's not really all that good because the time a week ago in Dusseldorf was superior. So there you have it. The problem with track and field. That's all anyone's going to talk about, right? And this actually shows you about a meet. You only need one or two races or three races. You need a storyline to sell and root and cheer. Do they give the record? Yes or no. Most people, when you go to, go to a sporting event, they leave with a definitive answer. Like, did we win? Yes or no. Did he get the world record? Yes or no. In track and field, there's so many events. You don't ever have that definitive record because you're like, well, Shelby won. I was rooting for her, but then Jenny lost. There's so many different events. It doesn't make sense. So I think it's better to have fewer events. You lost me a little bit there with the Shelby Jenny thing. I don't really. Well, the Shelby Jenny wasn't the right thing. If you root for someone in one event and they win, but Shelby and Jenny are kind of on the same events. So let's say you're a Shelby Hillham fan. She wins the race, but then you're a Craig Ingalls fan. Oh, and, and then you can the race. you root for multiple people, so you don't have a definitive outcome when you're leaving. I, I sort of understand what you're saying. And also, if you're not a real diehard fan, you don't have people to root for in every event, so you're just kind of watching it. When I was in yeah. high school, I, was, I wasn't I was really a fan. In individual sports, maybe this is just me, but I, I guess golf doesn't really have this problem, but I would watch it. I wouldn't really have any specific guys I'd be rooting for. I guess there are a couple, but you generally just root. If you're an American track fan, you root for the Americans, right? It's, you know, and so who do you, at the USA Championships? I don't know. Maybe that's just, I'm spitballing here. Yeah, instead, John, you spend your time 
we got to get this podcast over because Brighton Hove Albion will be playing here in less than one hour. Yeah, big game for Brighton against away at Leicester City, but the amount of people who care about Brighton and Hove Albion is probably in, and are listening to this podcast is probably direct family relations of me. So uh, let's not spend more time on it. But I, I think that shows, right? There's so many things that people can be really invested in, really follow, really root for, and track has to compete with those. Back in the day when there was worldwide sports, there's just a few things on TV. There was less options and somehow track was in TV producers' wheelhouses and now it's not. So we need to keep keep trying. I don't need track, obviously, to be the NBA or anything like that, but I think we have an interesting, compelling product. I think Mo is a great storyline. We've got a lot, lot of young, great runners coming up. We have 2021 World Championships in Eugene. I can't take credit for this, but then after that, we have a nice lead up to the 2028 Olympics. I mean, those things, could, we could get some momentum for track and field in this country if we do things right. It, it's a nice window. 2028, when we got the Olympics, I'm like, oh, that's so far off. But I think Mo will be, that's what, nine years, six years? No, excuse me, my math is off. Of course, the illness is affecting me. 25. I mean, that's crazy, right? She could be a big star by then. Noah Lyles will still be barely 30. Donovan Brazier, 30. Drew Hunter, 30. A lot to look forward to, I think, in America, if we can just kind of get some things going with the, with the sport. Well, 2028 is a long way away. So until much more immediate, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the podcast. But if you're in the Boston area this week, we highly suggest you get out to the world record attempt by the NLP runners. Should be a, a great showing out there. So this is a very sick Robert Johnson signing off for Weldon Johnson and Jonathan Gold. Thank you. If you'd much. like to be on the podcast or have any feedback for us, you can give us a call at 844 844- Five three eight seven seven eight six. That's eight four four. Let's run, or shoot us an email at podcast at let's run dot com.